you know i just found that lots of producers are like frustrated directors or writers or something who eventually turn to production uh, but i wanted to come with the more like holistic approach to producing um than anything else so as long as i know that the creator with me is coming hands on or whoever we're doing it with whether it's a brand or an agency or a musician or a music label or anyone mm-hmm. if they're willing to co-create and give me space um to create the way i want to mm. i don't mind taking a haircut on money but if you come in and you tell me i want it exactly like this yeah. and there's no space to move uh-huh. then i will charge you a premium because then okay. i know all you're doing is taking my time uh-huh. and you're taking my creative kind of ability mm-hmm. and my approach and my rigor to give you a factory made product that you have already created like we have to yeah, live yeah. with films of 5 years mm-hmm. like a director may live with a film for a year and a half and that's it you know two years mm-hmm. an actor may live with a film for four months a mm-hmm. dp may live with a film for four months but as a producer i need to live with the film for 19 20 years i have to do accounts for the next 15 years uh, wherever the film is getting sold any rights uh-huh. dvd ott here there uh-huh. i have to make sure all those accounts are being done Hello welcome to where we talk about films and yeah yeah that same joke uh, my name is Vidar Joshi i'm your host and uh, today we have with us need and want of every filmmaker every every filmmaker is is basically a producer so i don't want to waste any any time because i really need a producer so let's let's get into it So filmmaking is one of the most expensive and collaborative art forms and in order to execute a film very successfully one of the key components is a producer a person who can balance art with commerce and today we have with us a man who understands money as competently as he understands art and like me he is the producer of internationally acclaimed films like Namdev Bhav in the Search of Silence 3 and a half or Teen or Radha he is also the producer and associate director of a lot of beautiful music videos we have been seeing recently like Cold Mess Nit Nit Sage and so many more today we have with us one of the founders of jugad motion pictures mr dheer momaya hi sir thank you so much for coming thank you for having me thank you how are you how are you sir i am fine you can call me dheer you don't need to call me sir that's fine <laughs> okay um, i'm i'm good thank you how are you doing i'm good i'm good so the first question is you're a producer the main job yeah. title is a producer and there's a lot of confusion in the layman terms that what a producer does is he the one who puts in all the money or is there something more to that thing how do you define your job like what do you do how do you define your job um uh, especially in the indian context and the indian like mm-hmm. cinema industry or the film industry the producer is traditionally the person who finances the movie yeah. um and that's how it's always been through time uh, of course in america it was very similar till the studio set, uh, system kind of got set up and then you had the big studios that were financing the movies and producers who were packaging and producing movies actually mm-hmm. um so within w- within a broader sense of the term yes a producer is someone who does finance the film in the indian current scenario however my kind of relationship with production has been very different it's been more like the american model okay. um which has been where i have kind of come on board creatively packaged a project together identified a screenplay identified a director in my case it's been often the the director themselves has been the writer or often we've gone out and bought material or option rights to a book or um done some type of uh material purchase with mm-hmm. finance 
and or IP purchase with finance mm-hmm. and then got on specific screenwriters to go out and develop that into a screenplays and then hired a director to direct it. And then obviously, as you know, then the kind of production process takes its own course. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally am also uh, creatively involved in a lot of the projects that I get involved in, apart from, apart from raising the finance and managing the production flow and the logistics of the entire operation. Because as you know, every film is its own kind of logistical nightmare. Yeah, yeah, whether yeah. you're doing it on a small scale as a student film or mm-hmm. on a large budget, uh magnum opus kind of yeah. movie um so i've uh, in in that sense i've been uh involved through and through all the way from financing till finally marketing the material picking the okay. posters uh mm-hmm. and actually getting it out to get audiences to watch it mm-hmm. um my large focus personally as a producer also comes in during the uh prep so during pre and during production and of mm-hmm. course during post but like creatively working with the director or the writer to find the visual style, mm-hmm. uh, to commit to an emotional graph or to commit to an emotional kind of atmosphere of the film, uh, whether it's visually, whether it's narratively, um, across the board, kind of my involvement, at least with the directors that I've worked with, uh, they've been quite appreciative of my involvement within those processes. Mm-hmm. Um, because me personally, I'm, I also kind of started my career as an amateur photographer, as in my creative career per se, okay. uh, as an amateur photographer and visual artist. And uh, actually, I, I would say it was just something that really interested me. Mm-hmm. And I studied it extensively in my own time. Um, and I've been able to kind of derive a lot of my understanding of uh, visual storytelling from there, which I've then applied to my films. Um, so in that sense, I'm slightly different. However, in India, uh, the producer still is kind of responsible for the financing. Luckily for me, I've, I've had really interesting and like good financiers who backed all my films uh, and all my projects. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been lucky with that. Okay. Uh, so next question is like, why production? Why did you choose to become a producer when you started your uh, journey as a, as a visual storyteller, as you said? Yeah. Uh, good question again, because in India, lots of directors are their own producers. So yeah. if you see like, for example, lots of the big Magnum Opus, Opus directors, some people that I've worked with as well in my early years, mm-hmm. um, they're all producers themselves. You know, they run their own production shops and they hire line producers and executive producers to actually execute projects. Yeah. Um, somewhere, somewhere, somehow I, I saw that there was a lack of good, like creative producers, uh, in the country who were able to kind of understand and build projects almost like how directors do, you know? Mm -hmm. So even though like I have a strong directorial sense and, um, at least for my own style and, uh, style of films and the, and the kind of stuff that I want to do. Um, but somewhere I thought that, uh, there wasn't someone to fulfill the producer's role, which is where kind of I decided to take it up. Also, I have a background in, uh, well, I, I initially studied biotechnology and then I went on to study business management with a focus in accounting. Uh-huh. Um, and um, so overall, and like I, I obviously did a lot of focus on like business law and stuff. 
um so my overall understanding of like project management from just a legal perspective or from a, a tax perspective and from understanding like international co-productions uh to understand what kind of tax shelters we can benefit from what kind of rebates and like um yeah rebate systems we can benefit from um those things i kind of found interesting uh i just thought that, that i thought that the whole kind of like international co-production system is something that i could navigate quite well uh and i just didn't find that many people uh around me who were focusing on that you know i just found that lots of producers are like frustrated directors or writers or something who eventually turn to production uh but i wanted to come with the more like holistic approach to producing um than anything else okay and also and also what i always tell my directors at least all the few that i've worked with till now um is that all the stories that i've produced for them or any of the films or any of the projects that i've produced for them i just see them directing it better than i better than i better than i can you know okay. so uh, for me as long as there's someone out there to do a job better than i can then why, why should i be doing that okay. uh, uh-huh. that's the kind of mindset that i had okay so uh, this this has been your journey now let's address the elephant in the room regard motion pictures like you guys are producing finest content like the content we actually want to see how how <laughs> did jugar motion picture begin like how did you like you were working before jugar motion pictures then you came together with uh, your friends and built this company how how was it how what was the process of jugar motion pictures um yeah i mean it's kind of like what you said uh but uh with jugar you know see as as filmmakers it's very easy to get lost within the industrial like kind of the film industry uh, of that being either you go the bollywood route or you go a complete independent route or you make commercials and shorter format content and each of them have their own financial repercussions each of them have their own artistic repercussions and you know across the board and somewhere somehow i thought at least uh, the the my kind of immediate group of filmmakers that i was interacting with all of them are like honest writers and directors you know they want to tell honest stories good stories things that move people um they're not typically uh, you know they're not typically kind of sold to doing just art house yeah. projects Okay. uh that very few audiences will watch so i just found that all of us were kind of like wanted to tell honest stories mm-hmm. and we weren't able to find a platform to tell those stories like i worked a bit in bollywood for a few years as an assistant director and then okay. as an associate producer mm-hmm. um and uh i mean all of that th- those were great learning experiences for mm-hmm. me and i'm really thankful to all the people who had me on their projects back mm-hmm. then and kind of help shape my idea of execution and understanding of like the way the like kind of bollywood or the film industry works um but then somewhat somewhere we felt like we wanted to exist independently of that uh mm-hmm. and at the same time we didn't want to be like a struggling independent filmmaker we didn't want to be on either side of the spectrum mm-hmm. um which is when uh i mean we'd made our first two films completely independently yeah. uh, the first one teen or radha we were lucky to have anurag kashyap who came on board as a co-producer and as a mm-hmm. presenter so he kind of helped shape the journey of that movie which eventually went to netflix um with our second film we decided to go even more independent than that um mm. and said you know we want like to have absolute control over all our material and the way we execute it and eventually what we do with it um so that's how namdebhav was born mm-hmm. and i have a third movie right now which has just finished production um which is a movie called chello show Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a Pan, Pan Nalin's next movie, mm-hmm. um, Gujarati picture, which we've really been excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, so while all these projects were taking shape and stuff, uh, last year uh, Daria and me, who um, 
other kind of managing partners of Jugaad. Uh, mm-hmm. We decided that we wanted to um, kind of find uh, and, and build relationships with other artists and mm-hmm. like do more. work so we're able uh-huh. to kind of also build a kind of niche for ourselves i don't mean an audience niche for ourselves uh, but like a collaborative niche for ourselves so we mm-hmm. get because i mean at the end of the day music and film go so deeply hand in hand yeah. and we just felt that we hadn't explored the indian indi- like independent indian music you know scenario at all yeah. which is when we decided to take up more like music video work and stuff uh, and collaborate with people like prateek and mm-hmm. ritwiz mm-hmm. uh, and jasleen and you know across mm-hmm. the board a lot of the kind of musicians that we were really excited about but the moment you um, took it up you changed the entire game like now like uh, there is there is a narrative like the standard of music videos have been like you guys uplifted it completely and uh, like uh, was it how was that process of like uh, you decided to go to musicians or musicians came and approached you actually i think the first one uh, was with prateek and yeah. i think prateek was looking for someone to make a video for one of his songs in his cold mm-hmm. mass album I don't think it was the title track Cold Mess I think it was one of the other ones okay. uh and I had a friend of mine who worked at who works at Excel um his name mm-hmm. is Vatsal so mm-hmm. Vatsal and me go back like we were school friends basically okay. and both of us independently started our he's one year older than me but like mm-hmm. um uh, we independently started our journey in cinema mm-hmm. um he uh of course worked a lot with Excel and as a creative mm-hmm. producer and as an executive producer and I did my own thing um and <laughs> him and prateek collaborated on a, on on couple of excel films where they eventually i think it was bar bar they co something that they acquired mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. prateek acts for and they kind of built a good relationship with each other and when prateek was finally looking for um people to do his video vatsal thought that we'd be a good fit even though okay. we hadn't really done any short format content uh-huh. and unfortunately by then i hadn't really started discovering like Indi- like me personally mm-hmm. i i listen to music like which is pre 70s and 80s you know uh-huh. so okay. like i hardly even listen to any modern like american uh-huh. music uh leave aside you know indian modern like independent music mm-hmm. so that that was around the same time that i kind of discovered prateek's music and i fell in love with it and mm-hmm. you know it, it was literally around the same days that we kind of discovered each other mm-hmm. and we started exploring doing this music video together um and then dar heard the song and she really kind of fell in love with prateek and his music and his sound mm-hmm. um and of course prateek is as um um kind of visually and creatively yeah. uh yeah, nitpicky yeah. as we are with yeah, yeah, our yeah. work uh so so i mean we found a perfect fit within that and that's mm-hmm. when cold mess happened and i think after our experience of working with prateek on cold mess we realized that um doing short format like see you know when you do like if 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 you're going to be a commercial bollywood filmmaker and that's going to be the path that you take great and i think that's a scenario where you could eventually end up making one film every year or a film every two mm-hmm. years as a director not as mm-hmm. a producer as a director mm-hmm. um and that's obviously if you can break into the star system and get the correct kind of talent attached mm-hmm. to your project and then based of that get a green light um uh based of that get a green light from a specific studio mm-hmm. or get a specific pna budget and stuff like that so it's all very like kind of intertwined with the talent that you get to work with yeah. and somewhere we felt that um if we want to work with good talent and like oh well well known talent we want to get people to appreciate our work across the board we need yeah. audience appreciation of our work mm-hmm. which is when we decided that you know it could make sense like doing commercials as a short format uh project is great because it's good money 
but mm-hmm. sometimes they may not be as creatively satisfying because you may get yeah. a brief that comes in directly from an agency mm-hmm. uh, luckily again with the commercials that we've done we've been really lucky to work with really talented creators from agencies mm-hmm. who've um, helped us kind of brought us on board to co-create some of the work with them or the mm-hmm. material has been so good by itself that we've been able to jump on the project and we've not really had to do those you know typical like ata commercials uh-huh. and stuff like that which may not be as creatively satisfying uh-huh. um Mm-hmm. but we thought that at least with music videos it's a really good space mm-hmm. uh to explore doing completely fresh and new narratives that we can control uh without having to integrate too much brand yeah. activity stuff yeah, in there yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. still have the budgets to be able to do decent ideas you know mm-hmm. um and more more than budgets more than any of that it was really to collaborate and work with a wide array and range of artists yeah. you know uh-huh. uh specific dps that we wanted to work with um production designers actors mm-hmm. uh across the board editors uh mm-hmm. sound designers so collaborators that we otherwise would have to wait to do large format yeah. films with for each other mm-hmm. uh we were able to explore them on a shorter format and understand our working relationship mm-hmm. with a lot of people so so while we got a lot of appreciation for namdev bhav mm-hmm. and for three and a half from yeah. the critical film going community uh-huh. so across festivals whether it was mm-hmm. in busan or at the bfi in london yeah. or palm springs in in mm-hmm. la um a lot of the local kind of uh cinema groups and film watching groups we got a lot of appreciation from them nice. uh we still get a lot of letters about the, how the fi- our films have stuck oh, with them nice. through time and stuff yeah. but yeah. because of the alternative distribution method that we took and it wasn't mainstream theatrical cinema mm-hmm. um there wasn't like that much wide following for our work in india within the indian yeah. like audience scenario okay. you know uh-huh, uh-huh. while 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 we had a lot of like trade people who kind of watched our films and reached out to us and we were yeah. able to build um mm-hmm. collaborations based of that from the audiences we didn't really know how indian audiences would react to our work mm-hmm. um which is why then with the music videos of course our focus was direct, directly a youtube indian audience you know mm-hmm. um and while most of the youtube content that goes out is very like vloggy and like very kind of like uh influencer based uh-huh. we wanted yeah. to see that if we could put out actual like strong story based narratives which were very true storytelling whether when we put those out and completely they were our style you know it's not like we did something commercial for someone else or yeah. for a specific yeah. audience we just stayed true to our style and to our approach to our work and somehow that's connected widely with audiences you know mm-hmm. um with some of our videos getting like you know 100 million views across you know multiple platforms um so i think that appreciation is something that lots of filmmakers look for you know because at the end of the day independent production is a very lonely journey mm-hmm. um i mean direction and writing and stuff in itself is very lonely but independent production is also very lonely mm-hmm. where even though i may have a team of 10 or 12 people who work with me on a daily basis and we have an office and you know it has this kind of connection at the end of the day it's only you fighting for yourself and batting for yourself you know it's not like i have a massive studio output deal um where there's someone who's come and given me a blank check and said do whatever you feel like doing you know mm-hmm. um and while that may be the end goal of you know or, or not an end goal but like a, a one of our goals to be able to get that kind of canvas to be able to tell the stories that we want to getting there is quite hard and mm-hmm. it's getting there is quite lonely so when we were able to do these music videos and we were able to get all of this love from the audiences it made that journey less lonely yeah. because we knew that eventually the end audience is appreciative of our work and widely appreciative of our work and so then we know that the time and money and effort that we're investing in making these projects happen 
uh it's all actually worth it yeah so let's uh, coming back to the beginning of jugar motion pictures a lot of people yeah. want to start a production house so what's the legality how does one start a production house with a capital uh, legally and uh, all the other things what's the process of starting a production house so i think um more than anything it's courage uh, because mm-hmm. see it's like starting any other company right like yeah. I, I, if you, if you need to go into like the actual uh, legalities of it there's nothing mm-hmm. you could do it as a sole proprietorship tomorrow mm-hmm. you could start a company and call it whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah, yeah. um and it could be just a bank account that you have and you that's how i ran my production house for many years you know mm-hmm. because i just didn't uh-huh. have the bandwidth to be able to incorporate an llc and stuff uh-huh. like that uh-huh. I registered the name Jugar Motion Pictures, uh, and then I just started running productions through my company, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so I think I think I think the actual uh, legalities of it are very simple. You know, it's just uh, you need to make sure you're within compliance of uh, compliance. You need to make yeah. sure you follow all the compliance of GST and TDS and mm-hmm. all of those things, which are very important. Which lots of filmmakers don't do, and then they yeah. end up with massive. uh fines and stuff that they have okay. to pay um and especially because our business is such a project to project business mm-hmm. that we often make professional payments and stuff to specific creators or specific mm-hmm. artists that we're engaging for a specific project um and then we end up like missing out on cutting the tds or paying yeah. the gst or like filing our returns mm-hmm. and then that can spiral a lot so those things you need to really make sure you get mm-hmm. right um you need to make sure that you have a lawyer or a friend like for me i couldn't afford lawyers mm-hmm. i still can't afford lawyers i mean even though i can like i prefer not having them i do a lot of the deals myself so i studied ip i studied ip law extensively myself mm-hmm. like i went to the library picked up books and read most of the stuff that there is to read about like underlying uh intellectual property mm-hmm. rights what derivative rights mean what exploitation rights mean yeah. so and i was only be able to i was only able to do all of that on the go mm-hmm. as and when people were sending me contracts mm-hmm. i was able to break them down i went i had my my cousin brother who's a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, i'm very thankful to him because i was able to take him my contracts and have him explain certain yeah. things to me um uh-huh. so it is an it is a 24/7 job you know like mm-hmm. right now also even though i'm doing a lot of like creative work on a day to day basis mm-hmm. i also have a lot of legal work and paperwork that i have uh-huh. to get through you know every mm-hmm. day uh which i have to look at and make sure that the ndas that i'm signing they're not blocking me out from doing any further work mm-hmm. if there's a non compete happening uh where i can't work with a competing mm-hmm. brand or a competing thing i need to make sure that i'm getting paid my premium for that yeah um i need to make sure that all my talent contracts and stuff are more or less mm-hmm. um uh, you know are more or less watertight yeah. so that in case there's a brand that wants to make sure that for 6 months that the the talent that mm-hmm. we use in the commercial that we're doing with them they want to make sure for 6 months that that talent is not seen in a competitor's brand i need to make sure i get those papers signed as well So there are few kind of compliance things that you need to be do to be careful yeah. of but the yeah. biggest thing that you need when you start a production company is the right kind of talent right like i was blessed to have dar as my um as my kind of in house writer director to go to where all the projects that came to us we were able to take to her and she was able to make magic out of them yeah. you know yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. and and at the end of the day that's what eventually speaks for itself mm. no matter how much like we've never done a single we've never spent a single rupee in marketing our brand as jugar motion pictures mm. not a single rupee has been spent on instagram 
Instagram, Facebook running ads or doing any of that to get more followers. It's all been absolutely organic. It's all been, I've never ever even called up a single musician or anything said, Hey, I'm Jugaad Motion Pictures. I would love to work with you. Hmm. This is what we've done. I've never pitched myself to anyone. Uh, In that sense, we've been really lucky that people have watched some of our work and then got in touch with us. And those are the only projects we've been taking. Um, One of the reasons for that also is that since our work is so kind of... uh, driven by honesty and creative mm. like honest creativity mm-hmm. and like an honest approach to our story mm-hmm. st- storytelling um i don't want to like kind of pitch myself out to someone who may want something else but i convince him with my pitch that i'm the right guy for uh-huh. it uh, and then eventually it comes to being yeah. something completely different from what he expected mm-hmm. you know um so i prefer having it the other way um but the early days were difficult, man. Like I remember uh, when we were doing three and a half and Namde Bhav, mm-hmm. uh, and we didn't have any like direct income coming in from like smaller format mm-hmm. and shorter format mm-hmm. projects from commercials or music videos or whatever. It was tough. Like each each and every lakh was like um, was 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 money we couldn't spend. You know, I remember eventually at one point just because we were frozen up with our last four lakhs that we needed for a specific part of our post-production. We had yeah, to wait five and a half months to get that money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you ran, and ran today, a crowdfunding no, campaign, right? Uh, we did run a crowdfunding yeah. campaign. Yes, yeah. on Wishberry mm-hmm. uh, for three and a half. Exactly. So then we eventually ran a yeah. crowdfunding campaign yeah. through which we were able to raise the money and then we were able to finish three and a half, you know. Okay. Um, okay. So in that sense, those days were really difficult. Now when I look back on it, like those seem like such small, even though it was only a year and a half ago, I feel like the whole process, even though Jugar only started doing shorter format projects and ads uh, a year and a half ago, basically a year ago, even maybe is when it really took off. Um, it feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like a decade ago. It feels like, you know, all of those problems were so far mm. gone back then when I couldn't imagine where a project was being held up uh, because of a few lakhs of rupees, you know, because that's eventually what you spend on like a location now, you know, on something much smaller yeah. uh, within the larger production perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've been really grateful that my journey has accelerated itself quite quickly in the last one year. Uh, but it was a struggle, man. Like I remember even earlier convincing brands or music, uh, you know, brands to give us money for projects was very yeah. difficult. Now it's the opposite. Now, you know, we're constantly yeah. getting calls from like, different brands mm-hmm. and agencies and we have to decide what projects we want to take up mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. the other way around. Yeah. Uh, um, and speaking so, yeah. of content, you uh, mentioned that honest storytelling and that is seen in everything you have done till now. I like that's the best part like the content is selling itself like you don't have to market your thing or anything one biggest thing you guys have achieved is to create right. uh, create a particular type of content and then gather o- your audience instead of catering a particular type of audience which is the usual conventional way so what was your process right. like before starting the uh, starting the production or did you have that this is the type of content we want to make we want to just do this type of content and then the audience will come around uh, so let's start this uh, company and we'll produce a particular type of content and this will be the unique part about our uh, production house. Was it that was that thing in your mind or just it's organic? So your question is whether the 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 format of the content or the kind of approach that we kind have to our story and type of content format is a, is you mentioned that a shorter format was a later on thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I mean. It's very difficult to say. I don't think Mm. that our style, like we've ever changed our style uh, 
for any specific audience or for any specific reason apart from what the actual project lent itself to okay. so like for example when we're developing a project uh, inherently within that script or within that film or within that world uh, you will find um, that that piece of material lends itself to a specific kind of treatment okay. whether that treatment be casting a specific kind of cast or an actor that has uh, x amount of social media equity mm-hmm. or someone completely fresh someone completely new mm-hmm. or a driver as a matter of fact yeah. you know someone who's been a car driver yeah. for the last 40 years i think i think each project lends itself to its own kind of treatment um and each project lends itself to having its own audience and its own mm-hmm. life you know mm-hmm. like when we were going into uh, 3 and a half we knew that we were making a, a film with a meditative rhythm mm-hmm. that may not get in like theatrical distribution cross country theatrical distribution yeah. you know it's not a film that's going to get that we didn't have the kind of stars uh, mm-hmm. built into that in, into that project that would allow for a 3000 screen mm-hmm. cinema distribution right so we know that we know what we're going into mm-hmm. however sometimes projects you go in assuming something and then they turn out to be something completely different yeah. either they yeah. either their failures or their massive successes or and and you have to be ready for both mm-hmm. you know we're planned for both because at the end of the day film is such a um subjective kind of mm-hmm. medium of consumption mm-hmm. that you may think that you're making something very small and it may turn out to be something very big and you may think yeah. that you're making something very big but no one wants to watch it <laughs> uh so i think that uncertainty is something that all of us have um mm. have have gotten used to mm. uh and it in that 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 embraced more than more than you got used to it's something that we embrace going into every project yeah. you know and i don't think that we've ever approached a project which has not been true to our style or our uh kind of cinematic universe that we mm. want to create you know um it's just that the kind of storytellers we are uh-huh. uh we like to have certain themes or avoid certain themes or avoid certain like conventional traps that go into storytelling uh-huh. which then make us seem fresher than what may otherwise yeah. be going out but it's not something that we're actively trying to achieve uh-huh. we're just being honest to ourselves we're just being yeah. every project that suddenly does well or that gets certain amount of viewership or that people are happy with we've gone into that project exactly the same way we've gone into a project that may not have had the same mm-hmm. you know uh like for example we had uh, one of like darya's and my favorite music video uh, that we've done mm-hmm. i mean our own like the, uh, something that we are very personally connected to and we feel a lot about has the least amount of viewership um and and like hardly any people have seen it like 40000 people have seen it mm-hmm. you know what i mean um and as compared to like some of the other ones which have millions of followers uh sorry millions of views and stuff like that and like we we've gotten a lot of like separate following based of those this one is something that's really close to us mm-hmm. but somehow yeah. for whatever reason yeah. it was whether it was the issue with the distribution that the brand did or the agency did mm-hmm. or the song itself or the idea of how people have accepted it mm-hmm. somehow it just kind of got out. constrained you know mm-hmm. and like it didn't work out mm-hmm. but i still feel like that was some of my best work you yeah. know um okay. and and i guess and i guess that that's just part of the process and mm-hmm. you know you win some and you lose some and uh we're just grateful for right now that even though we've been just very honest to ourselves and told stories that we want to without anyone interfering mm-hmm. with us um people have liked it yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, i think that has been that has been quite uh, uh, motivating people not interrupting the films or stories you want to tell so well, one of the films you produced was namdev bau and you said that it was completely independent 
but that was at the right. initial stage of your uh, you becoming independent so what was the process because we had a yeah. conversation with aditya verma about that and i i'm sure you might have some really interesting stories because uh, the budget was not like huge but the film looks amazing and the story is very powerful you got the international acclaim and everything what was the process of producing your completely independent film um well yeah i mean you know back then we were so i mean i at least me as a producer i was very like naive you know mm. um in the sense that i did not want to go out and build an international co-production around it i did not want to go out and put it into script labs and really make it like an internationally financed and produced film uh because i was just i we were impatient you know daria and me were super impatient people uh we've learned patience now over the years slightly but like back then this is i'm talking about 2 years ago we were very impatient we just mm-hmm. we had a very like strong artistic ego that needed to be satisfied which was that we want to make movies and no one can stop us from making movies mm-hmm. and actually the factual scenario is that we never pitched that movie to anyone okay it's not like we pitched it we never even 3 uh-huh. and a half it's not like we pitched it to 15 log ko pitch kiya we heard no from mm-hmm. 15 people and that's why we said we'll go and do it independently actually we've never pitched that yeah. to a single person okay what okay. happened was i got lucky to raise finance for my first film 3 and a half mm-hmm. um and we were able to raise a little slightly more finance than we needed for the project mm-hmm. uh so mm-hmm. we had a little bit left over eventually um uh and and like it was a very it was a very like fractured production process it's not like ek hi baar mein we started and uh-huh. we ended and yeah. film khatam ho gaya yeah, yeah, yeah. we with 3 and a half we shot the first two parts 3 and a half the whole film exists in three long takes yeah so essentially Absolutely. it's yeah. three it's three schedules that we needed to film So the first two we managed, hmm. and for the third one we eventually waited for almost a year to film it, uh, because we were not able to get the right kind of cast that we wanted. And we were talking to a few like very large stars from that age group, um, and conversations went all the way around. And we could not pay any ta- talent any money, nor our DP, nor our sound designer, hmm. nor our actors. No one got paid a single dime and dollar because hmm. it's not like we had any money, you know. <laughs> Yeah. um the writer producer director yeah. we had spent many years on this project and we were not making a single rupee on production mm-hmm. you know so um we could not offer that to any of our creative collaborators either but because of dar's vision mm-hmm. and because of the kind of um environment that she creates around herself when she's making a film lots of people just got attached to it yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. while we were waiting to make the third part of 3 and a half mm-hmm. uh so the third sequence um we daria kind of conceptualized there was there was an idea that i and like a couple of other people that work with us we'd been playing with an idea of like how to deal with sound you know because it was mm. something that was really irritating us through time mm. and we had this idea of a man going crazy with just with the city sounds you know yeah, of like yeah. bombay city sounds and then dar was able to take that and like really craft something mm. much more deep and much more beautiful around it mm-hmm. uh, which apart from being much more entertaining also had a lot of um, emotional and uh, thematic value mm-hmm. you know um, so when she wrote that and she wrote that film we had some money left over from 3 mm-hmm. and a half mm-hmm. which we then convinced our investor to say listen you wanted one film what if we give you two films you know <laughs> and we'll keep same financing deal for you the same that it is for yeah. three and a half we'll keep the same financing deal for you for namdevao and luckily i don't know how most mm. financiers would say no just finish this film i don't want you focusing on something else mm. it was anyways micro budget productions and he knew that we were coming from a pure intention of doing good work rather mm. than trying to scheme someone of yeah, their yeah, money yeah. and trying to do any of that 
Um, and there was a huge trust cycle that had been built between the mm. both of us. So we were lucky and he said, sure, you know, go ahead and do it. But the budget was so minuscule mm. um, that literally there was like nothing that we could afford, you know. Uh, uh, so whatever we couldn't even afford going for a recce. So we were literally reccing locations a few days before we were filming it. Mm-hmm. Um, so within that, so you could imagine the kind of uh, logistical nightmare we yeah, were facing. Yeah, yeah. But we still had the spirit, you know. Mm-hmm. We had the spirit that we wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And we know that we had the spirit that whatever we make is going to be emotionally satisfying to the person who watches yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether it's going to be... Um, a large scale production or it's going to look like a very professionally done film or I don't know any of those mm-hmm. things. Luckily at the end of it, it did. Yeah. And like we were, we were really lucky to have cinematographers like Akash Raj and three and a half and Aditya Varma mm-hmm. on Namdev House mm-hmm. who were able with the frugal resources that they yeah. had, which was basically nothing mm-hmm. without first ACs, without any of that, they were able to build a visual palette, um, mm-hmm. which actually translates very nicely onto the big screen, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were, again, th- those were all things that we were just lucky to have. Daria and me, when we were developing the project, we knew that we had to write it with a certain visual uh, limitation, yeah. a scale limitation. Uh-huh. Um, but that didn't stop us. You know, we still were dreaming big and we were still trying to make, uh-huh. do and make with things work uh-huh. with what we had. Um, so I think that relentless spirit is something that uh, I learned from Daria. Uh-huh. I personally, as a producer, you know, we always like to err on the side of caution. And we always say until we have full financing, we don't Uh want to go into production because then we'll be stuck and we won't have money for post. We won't have money for this. And I think it was Daria's kind of um, approach to her work, which was either it's now or never. I am making this film no matter what. Let's do it. And we said, okay, fine, you know what, let's make it happen. Yeah. And at the end of the day, a producer can only be as effective as the director is, mm-hmm. you know. If I have a director who's very production friendly, and I've worked with a lot of directors who are not very production friendly. Mm. Um, and it's not a good or bad thing. It's great because they've also yeah. given us very good end results and end, yeah. end projects. And that's fine. But like for films for films like Three and a Half and Namdev, it needed to have someone, a director yeah. like Dar, who's as much a producer herself, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. who as much understands... Uh, what she needs to keep and what she needs to, what she can let go of Mm. to still maintain the original um, idea of the film Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, without compromising too much at the same time without being too um, uh, kind of constrained, you know, Mm -hmm. with the vision. Yeah. So I think that was essential. This is one part, one half, the passionate storytellers, the other half is collaborating with companies, clients, musicians. And uh, yeah. there's this, like, people don't usually get this, that uh, producing and the money part is one half and managing people, managing the egos is the other half. So how do you approach oh, yeah. the negotiate, negotiation with the companies, clients, musicians? And as you said right now that some directors are not production friendly. So that part as well, how do you go about that? Like managing people? Um, very good question again, uh, because negotiations is something that you just learn on the way, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, like especially like contractual negotiations and stuff like that. Those mm-hmm. are things like I said, like once you actually start reading contracts uh, and you start getting a hang of what it actually means to have a specific clause in there yeah. or what kind of control you're giving up with a specific clause, you understand those things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, when it comes to monetary discussions, again, very challenging um, because initially people don't want to give you money. <laughs> Yeah. They don't want to trust you with money, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's a decision that I took very, when we were very young uh, in the production scale that 
for the first few years we are not going to run a, we're not going to try and run a hyper profitability model mm-hmm. rather a hyper growth model mm-hmm. so um wherever i was negotiating for more money mm-hmm. uh, i was making sure that that the 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 places where i'm negotiating for more money is not to pay us as creatives more and not for a production house to make a larger production fee mm-hmm. or not for daria or for writers or for any other talent because i had convinced all of them that you know right now if someone gives you x amount of money rather than you making half of that in just creative fees and like your time and effort mm-hmm. if you in- reinvest that money for a few years in back onto the screen to make larger than life visuals uh-huh. to deliver projects that are much that look and feel much larger budget than they actually are over the years you'll build a much stronger mm. uh, growth scenario for yourself yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so i think that that was something that was really important for me for a decision for me to take mm. uh, because a lot of producers who do commercials or you know shorter format work they come into it wanting to make money yeah, yeah. and they are like we will not take on a project unless we make that much money i have taken on projects where i have made no money because i have known of the prestige or not even the prestige but um, i have known that this project is going to allow me and my yeah. creative team mm-hmm. to be as truthful as possible mm-hmm. so as long mm-hmm. as i know that the creator with me is coming hands on or whoever we're doing it with whether it's a brand or an mm-hmm. agency or a musician or a music label or anyone mm-hmm. if they are willing to co-create and give me space um to create the way i want to mm-hmm. i don't mind taking a haircut on money but if you come in and you tell me i want it exactly like this yeah. and there's no space to move uh-huh. then i will charge you a premium because then okay. i know all you're doing is taking my time uh-huh. and you're taking my creative kind of ability mm-hmm. and my approach and my rigor to give you a factory made product that you have already created so okay. then i know that i need to make that much money because it's not that satisfying for me okay. but i know if there's a project which for uh-huh. me is something that's really interesting and i know it's going to help me grow as a mm-hmm. storyteller or one of my directors grow mm-hmm. or anything like that or if there's a director who really wants to take on a project mm-hmm. but i'm not going to make that much money on it and the director themselves is willing to forfeit their large directorial uh-huh. fees then i know that this is i'm doing this for a, to build a relationship with a specific director mm-hmm. or to build a relationship the foresight quickly yeah. or a label someone mm-hmm. i'm completely open to that yeah it's okay. because it's it's a long term game right like i've yeah. been in this industry i've only had my production house a year and a half you know mm-hmm. and like i know that this is a long term kind of entertainment model that i want to build uh, as mm-hmm. a business so i need to be able to do good work to then eventually be able to command larger budgets uh-huh. you know um and what what happens when uh, things don't work out like a brand you want a project but the brand wants you to compromise on the story you want to tell and you understand that part better but they just want to enforce the product so do you fight for the product you want to deliver or do you just where do you surrender ki okay theek hai this is this is the amount of money i'm getting so we can just compromise this much but where is that where do you draw the line that okay no you can't push me this much because sometimes like you have worked with big 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 brands and big musicians right. and everyone so where do you draw the line as a producer as a creative person as well um i think uh it's again a very very good question uh very specific question and very important question and i think it would depend from project to project mm-hmm. uh but there comes a point when you will have a specific agency or a specific brand where you know it's just it feels exploitative you know oh. it feels like they want you to do work 
uh, like where their idea is so large, where they've written such a, I mean, or their or their or their media buying or their campaign size is going to be so big. Mm. But just because we are a young production team and they know that we are willing to work cheap, mm. they're trying to squeeze you out. Yeah. So that's just an intuitive process that you understand because you know with the conversation that they're having and the idea that they've built is so large, but the budget that they have for production clearly looks much lower than everything else, you know? Um, at that point, it kind of red flags me. And then I have specific ways that I use to kind of then get out without being very disruptive and very rude, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and often there are some times when you know that the person's intention is right, but they actually don't have that much mm. money. Uh, and it may be a you know a young musician who may not have done a lot of work, but you love their music and they love you, and you know you have mm-hmm. this mutual admiration kind of society yeah. built between uh, each mm-hmm. other. Um, and then you then it's your call, you know. Then for example, like right now, there's this young rapper uh, who we who Dar and me really love, and who has no money, you know, but we love him, mm-hmm. and we want to do like a whole bunch of work with him and. Um, we've decided now that we want to start like a music collective, you know, oh, nice. of um, of young talented uh-huh. musicians who may not have got like the right kind of record mm-hmm. deal or may not have got the right kind of uh, platform to, you know, put their music out. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case we want to start a creative collective. Mm-hmm. And since we work with a lot of the largest music labels in the country, um, we know a lot of the executives, we know a lot yeah. of the people who run you know, the stuff for them. So we are able to help kind of bridge those gaps. Nice. Um, nice. Uh, so I think that's uh, a really important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, going back to a question that you had before this, uh, which is also a very important question is how do you manage egos, right? Because yeah. at yeah. the end of the day, as a director or as a producer, you're really managing people's artistic egos, financial egos, and across the board, you know, mm-hmm. because like a DP, for example, will come in with a specific vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, a production designer will come in with a specific vision. A sound designer will mm-hmm. come in. At the end of the day, while all of those are really integral parts of mm-hmm. building a project, um, the director's vision is the most important because yeah. she's seeing or he's seeing everything really come together on a larger scale, mm-hmm. right? So even though a DP may want to take a shot that looks really beautiful, it may not have the same emotional texture that the director needs for the edit, you know? Yeah, yeah, and the editor will not use that shot. Even though it's taken five hours to take, he may not use that shot because the editor has his own or yeah. her own yeah. uh, artistic ego, ego. you know, yeah. um, which needs to be fulfilled. So I think that's something that, again, just comes through experience and mm-hmm. through time. Um, I feel like um, doing being very well prepared and having a very clear vision helps mm-hmm. because when a director or a producer have a very clear vision of what mm-hmm. they want, each and every department head that you eventually collaborate with they understand the amount of clarity that you're coming in with. Yeah. And really, uh, and, 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 and of course, you'll have those one or two examples of, of departments, head mm-hmm. of DPs or production designers who may just be artistically egoistic no matter what. Yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah, then you, yeah. know that you, you know that it's not jamming with you. They yeah. may work well with other directors and producers, uh-huh. but with you, it's just not working. Mm-hmm. And then you know that you should avoid collaborating mm-hmm. with them on certain types of yeah, projects, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, but on a general thumb rule, at least with all the people that we've worked with, especially all the talented people, all of them come with their own egos all of them come mm-hmm. not, I wouldn't call it egos but come with their own approach come with their own vision come yeah. with their own kind of very very um, mm. 
that they bring onto a project. Mm-hmm. But then when they see that Daria or me or any of the other directors are so prepared, like Daria or me when we're producing or any of the directors yeah. that we work with uh, are so prepared with what we want mm-hmm. that they understand that, okay, these people are not coming from a space. We, we don't, we don't take decisions from a space of artistic mm-hmm. ego. We take decisions from a space of what's best for that project. Okay. Okay. And as soon as someone yeah. understands that no matter how experienced they are, mm-hmm. they automatically come down yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to your level, mm-hmm. you know, because, because what happens is in this industry, um, so many people act from a space of, 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 of pure uh, self-ego, mm-hmm. not even artistic ego, I know, I know. not even that. Just that because I'm more experienced than you, I know what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of artists and lots of collaborators, they come jaded, you know, they come mm-hmm. pissed off. Especially people who work within the advertising industry and stuff, uh-huh. they come frustrated. Uh-huh. So when they come, like I know when someone has been frustrated by doing 50 commercials back to back and they come to us and then Daria almost has to do like a meditation session <laughs> with them. Uh, to like, you know, bring them back to like, listen, we're creating art, you know, we're we're not just running around like headless chickens Mm -hmm. trying to deliver something to an agency Mm -hmm. or to, you know, something we have to create within our own sensibility and we have to come back to our sensibility and our own approach to create pure, uh, Mm -hmm. truthful, um, films and narratives. Okay. So, uh, while doing like the, while the production is going on, how, what is the, what is your approach? What is your job on set? Because you've been associated, uh, you've been titled as associate director on many of the uh, music videos you have created. But uh, as a producer and as a, as an associate director, how do you approach being on set? Because it's very important that the crew is happy, so the product doesn't suffer. So what is your approach towards so, that? Um, I mean, yeah. See, you know, the the like you had rightly mentioned in the beginning mm-hmm. of the uh, when you were introducing the talk. Mm-hmm. Um, that cinema and filmmaking is one of the most expensive art forms yeah. uh, because it just requires so many people to come together to make it mm-hmm. and you're always running against a clock, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, no matter no matter who you are, whether I'm mm-hmm. doing a small home production or whether I'm Martin Scorsese, everyone yeah. wants more days mm-hmm. on the on the sound floor to film, mm-hmm. you know, everyone wants mm-hmm. more days, every director wants more days, mm-hmm. there's no director who will say, oh no, no, that's enough for me, you know, <laughs> and there's no producer who will say that's enough for me. So I think, I think um, that's something that you have to remember that mm-hmm. you always need more time. And at the end of the day, uh, when you go into actual production after mm-hmm. development and after you've committed to your screenplay and after you've committed and you're, and you're sure that this is the best way you want yeah. to move forward with this particular material, uh, then the whole logistical nightmare begins, right? Of how to film, yeah. whether to do it whether to do it in 50 days or 60 days mm. or 30 days or in two shifts or four mm. shifts or what location is better, what location is worse, mm. what location do we need to paint less, do more. So then starts a whole other process, you know, yeah. which is, uh, um, which is just project management. Mm. And while most people think that project management is not creative, that's absolutely untrue because a uh, good, like for example, like, I personally will not be able to run or do any of my productions without mm. few people in my company. Mm-hmm. Like my, my um, cope now someone who's been producing a lot of the content for us and like really taking charge of, mm. and also a very talented director is a guy called Pranit Sahani. Yeah, yeah. So he directed uh, Bombay dreams and mm-hmm. Bate Karo mm-hmm. and he's produced a whole bunch of other stuff that we've done in the last one year. Okay. So now, Every director that I've worked with, when when Pranit is on their production, they're all very comfortable because he approaches his work like a director. Mm. He knows what the director would need. He knows the kind of where to constrict Mm. and where to 
be Let completely yeah, open yeah. you know mm-hmm. uh where to give time where to sh- you know shrink kind of yeah, hold yeah. time shrink time uh what to put money in where how much like you know how much how much a story require like mm-hmm. when you have a story we do like breakdowns of it right so you get yeah, a complete yeah. breakdown of how many extras you have what kind of production mm-hmm. design you need what kind of vfx is going to come in so you have this master breakdown sheet yeah. and then we have a way that we tally our numbers to understand what requires how much of the resources mm-hmm. you know like for example some projects they need a lot of production design yeah. some projects you can do without production design at all and shoot in real locations yeah. and then you can put a lot more money into like say for example getting the right kind of music composer mm. or getting a much more talented or larger edit team because mm. you know you're going to need to edit more mm-hmm. so i think each project has its own kind of um uh its own approach uh-huh. Uh-huh. and i think it's really important that for a producer to approach all their projects when mm-hmm. they get material to approach it creatively to understand what mm-hmm. for a yeah. film to happen yeah, yeah. what aspect of the production process needs most nourishment mm-hmm. um so i think that's a really important talent to have as a producer to be able to identify that mm-hmm. and for example ranit has a really really um uncanny ability to be able to identify that very quickly sometimes mm-hmm. even before i can okay. sometimes sometimes yeah, yeah. even though he's someone who's kind of started his journey with us he used to work uh, he's an engineer by uh, oh, by okay. education uh-huh. um and he used to work as a supervising or not even as supervising just as a as a young kind of creative producer at byjuice Okay. and then he moved to bombay and his first job was with us okay. and that was a year and a half ago mm-hmm. and since then he's just grown so dramatically that today i learn things from him you know nice. um from time to time from a um from a production standpoint mm-hmm. and he has an uncanny ability to be able to break down the most essential part of every mm-hmm. film that we make yeah, yeah. and then he knows how where that essential parts needs the most uh, nourishment from resources mm-hmm. and how everything else then needs to be balanced perfectly so that they still stay afloat yeah, yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. um uh, so i think i think that's great uh-huh. uh i think also building trust based relationships with um uh, with the crew is is really important yeah, you know yeah, yeah. like because like having a really strong first ad is like if you don't have a strong first ad for example you're as good as a headless chicken on a set mm. you know you're as good as not being able to produce anything yeah, yeah, yeah. um if someone's not running your set strong and making sure deadlines are being met on that from that perspective you're gone yeah um if you have a production designer or a dp who's not as uh engaged as you are to mm. keep costs low to make sure things happen fine you could go overboard yeah. um if if you're not uh if your entire crew uh i'm talking about your light boys uh your spot boys mm. your prop uh masters, leads yeah, yeah, yeah. or prop makeup. masters or makeup across the board yeah. you know drivers mm. even like drivers for example are super important because yeah. as a production um you could say that you want to start filming at 6 o'clock but if your 22 yeah. drivers all decided to show up late <laughs> you ain't starting for 2 hours so just exactly. having drivers and transport management could save you crores and lakhs or crores yeah. of rupees you know on larger productions um so one of the things that we do and something that Daria had introduced to us uh through our filming process which is now what we do as a production house mm-hmm. overall is that at the start of every film or the start of every project mm-hmm. um we do a ritual where we involve each and every person from the crew each and every person it doesn't matter even if you're just a cleaner from the location who theoretically has nothing to do with the film crew yeah, yeah. 
but as long as you are on our set or in and around our set mm. we all come together we all hold mm. hands yeah. and we do this sort of like uh, self aware meditation mm. you know um which involves and it's really interesting the process of that meditation also is very interesting where it involves us all of us holding hands and all of us looking at the world from the person who's on the right of us or on the left of us oh nice and it's never that the actors are like the actors are standing next to light men or the uh-huh. light men are standing next to dps uh-huh. so it's all across the board and we're all holding each other's hands uh-huh. and through this and we shut our eyes and we imagine the world through each other's eyes nice so often when i imagine like like say for example as a producer i may have a car that brought me to the set you mm. know so i woke up slightly later than everyone else or maybe i woke up the earliest and like mm. did other work but like i had a car that dro- brought me directly yeah. but if i'm shooting in bombay there may be a light man who's taken a, a rickshaw and yeah. a train mm. or a bus and a train and then come and then taken another bus and woken up 4 hours before me mm-hmm. so how do i put myself into his position where he's eventually getting paid the same amount of money that he gets paid on any other day yeah, right yeah, yeah. so for him it's just another job it's just mm. another job he wants to make sure he doesn't piss off his his gaffer or his dp so that he makes sure that he gets another job again so yeah. that's all he'll put in but how do i make him put in the same effort as me if his if he's not getting paid much mm. more than that if he's just getting paid what the union rate is yeah. or, you know or what what the or what the film can afford mm. paying him so i feel like engaging them in this kind of ritual gives them a sense of connection to the awesome. whole film yeah, because yeah, what yeah. dar always says is that look i don't want you to just be a light man here you're not just a light man here mm. you're not just someone who's holding a light or putting up a skimmer or something like mm. that you are creatively adding to my film so mm. whatever you do the end audience will see so if you yeah. don't approach your work with love the end audience is not going to feel that love so even if we're running against time mm. even if whatever no matter what even if like everything is going hey why or she will pull the crew together and do this ritual nice. and what we've seen at least is that then we've seen that each and every person on the set approaches it from a different perspective because mm-hmm. sometimes you know these guys are doing so many commercials yeah. and like you know they get this give food different mm-hmm. caterers catering a mm-hmm. catering b catering we don't have any of that mm-hmm. uh there's no different food each and every person eats the same food on our set yeah. maybe the actors will get slightly different food because they may be on specific diets that may not allow them to eat uh, indian food they may just want to eat salad and you know the 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 rest of the team like i for example cannot survive on salads so i need to uh, eat properly so they may get something specific which is healthy but everyone else including darya me whoever huh. else we all stand in the same line we all eat the same food mm. we treat everyone as a purely equal person on the set mm. and i know lots of nice. production houses do this we're not the yeah, only yeah, people yeah. um but uh i think that's been this ritual for example has been an essential part of us being able to push and do 20 hour shifts mm-hmm. you know of course we pay people for the extra shifts yeah. and all but energy drops you know mm-hmm. but yeah, somehow yeah, yeah. we see that each and every person has been invigorated while doing mm-hmm. uh work with us mm-hmm. okay. saying that's been an essential part as well and after the film is done you're done with the film and uh, how do you plan the distribution and how much how good is ott for you and how important was the film festival circuit you did with namdev bhau like how did that help you in finally distributing the film to a larger audience what was your approach while distributing the film or the videos you make anything so i think with i'll start with the films because that's huh. slightly more complicated um distribution has always been my biggest pet peeve you know <laughs> 
because the the distribution and the way the exhibition and distribution network works in india yeah. is that it's very very limited to just mainstream bollywood cinema mm. with regional language films it's slightly different but if you're doing hindi language films if you don't have a star in it there is no distribution for you mm. either you have to have a star or you have to have a massive studio that's willing to put 10 or 15 crores into a pna mm-hmm. for distributors and exhibitors to even start taking you seriously yeah. you know um and i'm talking about 10 or 15 crores on the lower end of of pna hmm. um where otherwise if you're doing an independent film like my film may have a budget of 80 lakhs you know mm-hmm. i cannot raise yeah. or one crore i mean i cannot raise 10 crores to put into a film uh, into distribution mm-hmm. you know what i mean it just doesn't make sense especially because mm-hmm. there's no staff so um and luckily with three and a half at that time it was the onset of the ott boom in india yeah. and netflix was looking for prestigious titles that had done a lot of festivals mm-hmm. um uh, and we had already distributed internationally three and a half in a couple of theatrical markets like in japan we had a few screenings in korea in south america we had a few screenings here and there a few distributors had bought us and then netflix came in and took off uh, world rights basically oh, nice. and now once an ott platform comes in and takes off your world rights you can't distribute the film theatrically or yeah. anything anywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. because uh, it just doesn't make sense yeah. you know, for any any theater or any distributor mm-hmm. there to take on the film because available on netflix mm-hmm. people can anyways watch it yeah. on netflix so with namdev how uh, we decided to go a slightly different route mm-hmm. because since we already had the netflix distribution on the first one and we knew what the pros and cons were of that uh, with namdev how we said we rather sit on the film uh, mm-hmm. even though it's been i think a year since its first uh, festival mm-hmm. um a year and a couple of months since its first festival uh actually a year and a half since its mm-hmm. first festival um we sold theatrical distribution rights over the last 6 months to various territories worldwide mm-hmm. and they've all told us to hold on the ott sale because they've already given us like minimum guarantees okay. and stuff for uh-huh. it so we made some recoupment on that mm-hmm. uh and now they told us to hold because of this whole pandemic situation yeah. and they wanted to do like uh some of them wanted to do spring releases some of them wanted to do post summer releases but now since this film is so small mm. and they have a such a large kind of back like you know hold up on so many titles they're pushing our releases till december you know when okay. it gets cold in okay. europe and people watch uh-huh. more films uh-huh. um they're pushing our release till then and what they've done is they've requested us to hold back on the ott because if we do sell to ott then we need to go back and buy back all those rights from them oh, so our canadian yeah. sales agent has kind of like told us listen let's just wait on it mm-hmm. and let's see what happens okay. simultaneously the ott scenario in india has changed a lot since we sold three and yeah, a half yeah, to yeah. them they are looking now most of the otts they are paying premiums only for content that's been theatrically distributed or has mm. stars or has someone well known in it hmm. uh while in three and a half we still had some of that with namdev how we just have namdev how you know yeah, who's yeah. like a driver huh. so um so we know that we're not going to be able to achieve the kind of premium that we want hmm. for it uh so what we've decided now is that towards the end of the year we found a couple of financiers who want to come in uh-huh. uh and help us do a small theatrical distribution of the f- within the in scenario and specific, specifically within the marathi scenario uh-huh. because the first 18 minutes of the film are marathi and the rest then meanders into hindi marathi uh-huh. ladakhi whatever each person uh-huh. speaks what's most naturally available to them but it's 90% hindi after that uh-huh. so someone has come in and given us an a, a interesting proposal of dubbing the entire film in marathi and releasing it as a commercial marathi uh-huh. movie uh-huh. so rescoring the film repackaging the film uh-huh. the posters trailer everything and making it a really interesting 
Marathi movie. Mm-hmm. So while Dar, of course, as the creator, is, um, is wants to be very careful with that, she's open to the idea and actually really excited about the idea. Uh-huh. But the creative and like I mean not the creative, but like the essence needs to still um, remain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. where we're still kind of battling with with the because they want to make it much larger, mm-hmm. uh, wider audience than what we had in mind. But we're still figuring that out. Okay. Um, with with my newest film Chello Show, um, which is a Gujarati picture, which is perhaps the largest production I have done till now from a feature film perspective, uh, because it's a Indo-French uh, Belgian co-production, mostly financed out of Belgium and France. Orange Studio has come on board to sa- do sales of the film, uh-huh. and again because of the COVID pandemic, we've had to stop our co- uh, post-production, uh-huh. like actually finishing the film. Yeah. So right now, our edit, our sound, uh, our edit, sound design, sound mix, DI, everything is happening in Paris, and all of the entire plan had to be halted because Paris was an absolute lockdown yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, so now we're just slowly restarting all our work, and we should have hopefully the film ready by the end of the year mm-hmm. or early 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Is what we're targeting. Okay. And festivals and festivals are a really important part of sales um, because. Otherwise, how else as a local, like if I, if I don't go to, for example, Busan, hmm. how will a Korean or Chinese distributor watch yeah, my yeah, film? Yeah, yeah. If I don't open in Cannes or in Toronto, hmm. how will I get uh, a French or German co- uh, distributor to watch yeah, my film? Yeah. You know, <laughs> if I just go to Cannes market, there are close to 5,000 films in the Cannes market hmm. where they're trying to get distributors to watch their film. So the only way to uh, cut through all the noise mm-hmm. is to get a very strong festival distribution mm-hmm. or a festival presentation mm-hmm. where then Cameron Bailey or you know whoever Toronto or, or Palm Springs or whoever picks up the film, uh-huh. they make sure that there's a lot of press and stuff done around it. Mm-hmm. So then uh, say if you're in Palm Springs, then a North American producer mm-hmm. comes to you and says, oh, you know, my executive was watching films in Palm Springs. They really loved your film. How can we collaborate on distributing a film in America? So I think that's what's really important. Uh Um, However, now OTT platforms, unless it's a really, really strong festival film that's won a lot of awards, Uh uh, what my understanding is that they're trying to stay away from festival titles because they're trying to do more like series and more like very engaging blockbuster kind of films, Uh which theoretically festivals may not pick up. Um, So they do festivals do have their pros and cons in an ideal scenario me as a producer i would not want to rely on festivals for distribution because at the end of the day when you release a film in a festival two uh, two or three uh, critics can make or break your film you know if three critics write badly about your film you may have no distributor yeah. who wants to pick it up or three critics who write good all distributors want to pick it up so i personally would avoid having that but um for, for a specific kind of movie, mm-hmm. if you want international distribution, and if you don't have one of the large Hollywood studios that comes in for worldwide distribution, like a Sony Pictures Classic, or a Paramount, or a Warner, or a Disney, or whatever, mm-hmm. if you don't have any of those guys on your film, then you need to go the festival route. You yeah. need to go to international sales agents mm-hmm. like Wild Bunch, or Orange, mm-hmm. uh, or Memento, who can then themselves mount a whole distribution of it. Okay. And the final question, uh, which is... Like, do you think commerce kills art? And if it does, how do we protect it? And if it doesn't, how do we balance it? Like, where do we draw the line? Or where do you draw the line? Let's make it personal. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Again, great question. Um, It's, uh, well, I mean, from a purely artistic standpoint, yes. I mean, you... uh, 
you could say that commerce does affect artistic vision mm-hmm. um because often you have to take decisions based on commerce then purely art, yeah. like uh artistic uh, especially yeah uh, purely an artist vision huh. however um however they do go hand in hand right at the end of the day yeah. all art at the end of the day does go hand in hand with mm-hmm. commerce uh where even like the greatest artists of the renaissance uh so michelangelo or da vinci or any mm-hmm. of them could not have worked or done the works that they've eventually created that we've grown to love over time mm-hmm. without the support of the medici family yeah, or yeah, without yeah. the support of the papal fund or the mm-hmm. papal um commissioning you know commissioning mm-hmm. like for example um the sistine chapel right yeah, yeah, yeah. because it at the end of the day artists need a canvas to make their art on right uh-huh. whether that canvas may be um an actual canvas mm. in in in, in, in for michael yeah. andrew or whatever yeah. paintings or for us it could be actually putting crews together and doing that mm. right um so i do feel like at an initial stage especially in our life we do need to focus on getting something that's effectively working for uh commerce as well uh and hopefully as as most artists do we all hope and pray that eventually we'll come to a point where uh we can tell our stories without having to like decide commercially mm-hmm. but i do feel that even today the most artistic uh directors in the world mm-hmm. who make what may seem like very artistically indulgent projects mm-hmm. uh even they take micro decisions that are commerce based you know yeah, yeah, yeah. specifically like they say say for example a french director who i love may make a very 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 like a uh, narrow audience film uh-huh. but will still want marion cotillard in it you know mm-hmm. um because having her would make distribution that much easier for him mm-hmm. so at the end of the day you have to take decisions that and 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 specifically with film there's so many chapters to your process yeah. right like we have to yeah, live yeah. with films for 5 mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. like a director may live with the film for a year and a half and that's it you know two years mm-hmm. an actor may live with the film for 4 months a mm-hmm. dp may live with the film for 4 months whereas a producer i need to live with the film for 19 20 years i have to do accounts for the next 15 years uh wherever the film is getting sold any rights uh-huh. dvd ott here there uh-huh. i have to make sure all those accounts are being done so i have to live with the film for much longer than my artistic passion mm-hmm. for it you know so i can't take a decision purely based on what makes sense at that moment mm-hmm. but i have to take a decision based on a 20 year plan or at yeah. least a 5 year yeah. plan you know um and i know sometimes when i have taken decisions based of intuition rather than commerce mm-hmm. and i know where that's backfired on me later you know or vice versa where yeah, i have taken yeah. a commerce another intuitive decision So I do think that they go hand in hand. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive of each other as much as we'd all love for them to be. Um uh and yeah, I just think that we are responsible at the end of the day. Like say for example, even if I was making a film which had huge artistic value, mm-hmm. which had huge uh you know kind of a huge leap and bound that we were taking artistically or okay. cinematically mm-hmm. um which was very indulgent or whatever and there was a financier who came on board to do that uh, who gave who gave me that million dollars mm-hmm. or 2 million dollars to make that movie yeah. uh and they knew that their most of this money will go you know mm-hmm. um like with some of kusturika's films or some of like zia janke's films or naomi kawase for example mm-hmm. they don't make money but they still yeah. are able to find finance um for europeans and for japanese and for americans it's very different because uh, not americans but europeans and japanese it's very different and some asians and koreans and stuff because they have government support funding yeah. 
where the government themselves comes in and gives you money sometimes 3-4 million dollars mm. to make art where no one is responsible for that yeah. money it's taxpayers money you know uh-huh. even though there may be a recoupment position and all like Uramash and stuff have a recoupment position on them they're not really a single investor equity investors money yeah. within the Indian yeah. perspective NFDC stopped financing films in the 1990s <laughs> that's where the parallel that's where the parallel cinema of the 80s yeah. ended you know mm-hmm. Govind Nilani and stuff were yeah. able to make Papi and those movies mm-hmm. because NFDC gave them money to make mm-hmm. it when NFDC money ended now we now we completely rely on private right. equity yeah. investors mm-hmm. uh, to put money in films so mm-hmm. how can I like unless that equity investors like the Medici family mm-hmm. where they'll be like you know what we just want to support art blindly uh-huh. which personally I've never met anyone who's wanted to do that <laughs> um, uh, and, and, if, and if I do I guess I'll get lucky um, but um, it, if it's a private equity investor mm-hmm. who's finally putting in the money I feel responsible for that person's yeah. money because I may take a million dollars and go out and make something and no one will watch, but then I've dried up that resource for me for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I am working with an investor, I want to make sure that that investor makes that makes his or her money back so that I could go back to them for my next project, which may need 5 million, you know? And I know that if eventually all my projects are able to turn themselves around commercially, I know I'll be able to keep myself going and tell larger and larger projects and take larger and larger risks, you know? And, and film is, and cinema in general, and now I'm talking about theatrical, or not theatrical, but just feature films. Mm. Uh, it is a very high risk, high return model. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. you take high risks, you take, you make 10 films of which one film could make you back money of 20 films. Yeah. Or all could flop. Mm-hmm. Or none could work or all could work. You know, you just have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in some sense, you have to mitigate that risk slightly and make sure that you're playing within uh, the knowledge of that risk, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So on yeah. that note, What's I, I just want to ask what's coming next from Jugar Motion Pictures. Recently, you released Kasoor, which again went viral. Yeah. Everyone loved it. I loved it. What's next? What's next from Jugar Motion Pictures? Um, I think, uh, I mean, you know, this whole pandemic and yeah. the whole 2020 scenario uh, has has thrown us off our growth plan yeah. completely. We were supposed to start a feature film this year, um, which is supposed to be a slightly more mainstream Bollywood feature. Mm-hmm. Um, with a larger studio um, and we were supposed to all of those all of those processes were on uh-huh. point and now all of that has been pushed back by six or eight months uh-huh. um, we're really looking at the series space which is something that we hadn't done earlier uh-huh. again because my approach had I mean Dar and me personally our approach had always been that we love the cinematic art form uh-huh. the art form of films okay of the 80 to 140 minute model or whatever sometimes if you want to go crazy then you know 300 minute model but like of of doing of doing feature length films narrative films but as since we started since three years ago till now the whole watching uh, culture of people has changed completely people don't go to the cinema to watch movies anymore. Yeah, yeah. People go to the cinema to watch IMAX movies and they'll go to watch Tenet uh-huh. or they'll go to watch the new Christopher Nolan picture. Uh-huh. But they may not want to go and watch uh, a film that I'm doing, a smaller, you yeah. know, smaller like social drama, comedy. Uh-huh. It could be anything. It could be fun. It could be a great movie. But a lot of people, including me, sometimes I wait for things to come to OTT to watch it on my TV, my large TV at home, uh-huh. rather than go to the cinema to watch it, you know? Uh-huh. Um so I think as watching has changed and as people's consumption of entertainment has changed over the last three years, 
we realized that we also need to focus on series mm-hmm. so we started mm-hmm. developing uh, a couple of our original uh, nice. series and like um, yeah series ips mm-hmm. which we started pitching and we've had a huge response from them nice uh, from nice. some of the ott leading ott mm-hmm. platforms we've also been greenlit for one of them um, can't reveal any information yeah. yet but we've got a development green light for a couple of our series so we're also looking at that um mm-hmm. and uh, we're still focused on telling feature length films we're working with a whole bunch of exciting young directors mm-hmm. of course we're housing a lot of the dargai projects which are really interesting yeah. um yeah. which i'm very excited about personally uh we're also working with pan nalin on a lot of projects uh, there's another young talent called pranav bhasin yeah, yeah, yeah. uh who I'm really excited about who we want to do a feature with this year so yeah just super excited um we're committed to to continue telling uh are creating really high quality entertainment for people and i say entertainment because at the end of the day that's like while i truly have a very deep kind of artistic ego mm-hmm. and i watch a lot a lot of foreign language films i i go to festivals sometimes just to watch movies and i highly appreciate it mm-hmm. um i do feel like the new age we're moving into a perspective into a world mm-hmm. where uh I don't want to call something art house. I don't yeah. want to call something because because audiences are now open to watching uh, films with meditative rhythm. They're open mm-hmm. to watching films with slightly more slow burning themes. Mm-hmm. It's just how it's packaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it's packaged as entertainment, people will watch it. So even yeah. if you're doing something highly artistic, mm-hmm. if it's packaged well as entertainment, mm-hmm. people will watch it. Oh. And I feel like um, certain people in certain producers in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uh, all who have now become dogs through the me too scenario uh-huh. or whatever uh, they like people like harvey weinstein and mm-hmm. brett ratner they were able to understand bridging that gap you mm-hmm. know they were able to understand how to tell highly artistic films but package them as entertainment yeah, and as yeah. and as and as movies i think uh-huh. a lot of exciting stuff mm-hmm. uh, a lot of cool collaborations coming up in 2020 and hopefully uh, you should see a lot more stuff from us excited really excited so on that note thank you so much for joining us I had a lot of fun. I guess the audience. This is one of the longest episodes we have done, and uh, I guess we there is so much to just learn from you. And I hope you had fun as well. And I had a great time. Thank you, Vidar. Your questions were all very insightful. Usually, I don't do these talks and stuff. <laughs> Daria and Aditya and the creatives and actors <laughs> and stuff usually yeah. do it uh, because. I mean you know it's really um it's great to hear from them their process and stuff yeah. but I think your pro- I think your questions were really insightful and thank it helped you. me understand a bit of my process thank better thank you thank you uh, thanks for having me thank you so much